Welcome to the East Coast Believers Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope this inspires and encourages you to grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's Pastor Norm. Let me just introduce this series to you that I'm doing. It's called Reveal, the life that God wants for you. And I think we have to buy into the fact that God has a life for us that, that's so much better than our own plans. That God has a life that he would love for us to live and enjoy on this earth. But a lot of us, we really aren't walking it out. We're not living it out. And I'm just going to take the words of Jesus. And this is sort of the, the genesis of the series. And this is our text, John chapter 10. Jesus said, I came so you can have real and eternal life. And I think we all buy into eternal life. I don't think that's a problem for a lot of us. We buy into that. But I, I like this phrase, so you can have a real life. And, and I think a lot of us aren't really living the life that God intended for us to live. We're living way beneath the standards he would want us to live. And we're not really fully living out God's plan for our life. He said, it's, it's a, you say, well, I got my own plans. Well, here's what Jesus said. It's a more and better life than you've ever dreamed of. He said, I am the good shepherd. And so I want to unpack this, and I want to unpack what it is this series called Reveal, Living the Life That God Wants You to Live. And this morning, I'm going to deliver, I'm go I would consider this to be the most difficult message that I have delivered in 2018. And this is a message that's going to be challenging for a lot of people. Why I put it this weekend on Thanksgiving weekend, I don't know, because I knew the crowd would be lower, and so I figured it'd be easier. And... Um, and, but, but honestly, is this is a message that we have to confront and we have to deal with. And it's what we did in this series, I got with our team and we talked about living the life that God would want us to live and what would keep us from living that life. And so I went through and we interviewed people and talked. We found five or six different areas that we really struggle in. We talked about a chaotic life. We talked about conflict in our relationships. I'm going to talk about our stuff. We're going to talk about your closest relationships in your life, how we struggle with those. Today, I want to deal with a topic that's difficult and challenging. But I want to bring you, first of all, to the scripture. And I want to show you what the Bible says about this. And I want to set it up for you in such a way. Now, I'll just tell you the truth. I'll, I'll sort of be honest with you what I'm doing. I'm trying to disarm you a little bit right now. I'm trying to kind of let you get some guards down. And I want to show you what the Bible says. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. Aren't you thankful for that? Like the Scripture that I'm going to read today is life-giving. It's God-breathed. God and is useful for teaching, which I think, hey, we all buy into that. We all want to be taught. People that go to our church, they like the teaching and they want to learn more. But here's the part that we wish wasn't there. It's also good for rebuking. It's also good for correcting and training in righteousness, which someone says, well, I don't know if I like that. Come on, pastor, tell me jokes. Tell me funny stories. I like the teaching, but I don't want to be corrected or trained. Here's the reason why it's so important. So that the servant of God. Do we have any servants of God in here today? Oh, about four of you. We're going to have a great altar call. Uh, do we have any servants of God in here today? All right. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I want to tell you, that's my end game. That's my goal today. I want you thoroughly equipped for every good work. This same verse in the message translation says, every part of scripture is God breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth 
exposing, and that's, that's the word I want to focus on, shed light on our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us, and this is why I went to this verse, training us to live God's way. Now, why is this so important? Because through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. And what we're gonna do today is shape up a little bit for the task God has for us. And I wanna help you unveil and reveal and uncover areas of our life that maybe really we're not living to the, to the degree or the level God wants us to live. And we're stuck in an area. And a lot of times the only way to get unstuck from these areas is to expose them. Second Corinthians chapter four, I think this describes the modern day American church. He said, we refuse to wear masks and play games. I think that's what's happening in the modern day church. We're going to church, we're playing games, we're wearing masks on Sunday morning. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. You, we, we all know you've gotten the biggest fight of your life on the way here. And um, your family's not doing great. You're struggling on the job. And we just come to church and we, we play game and we wear masks. And Paul said, we don't want to do this. We don't maneuver, manipulate behind the scenes. And we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display, which I've dreamed of a church. And I think you all do too. A dream of a church you could go to and you could actually have a real life. And you don't have to come here and fake it in one way and one day act one way and then on Sunday act completely different. And so we, we, we thought, and the best way to do that is get in a small group where you could have people that have your back. And so I want to go in and I want to talk about some areas that we struggle with. I want to talk about that one area of your life that you know you're struggling, that no one else knows you're struggling in. I want to talk about that one area of your life that you wish you could get victory over, that you could find freedom in. It's that one area of your life that you know that you need to deal with, but for some reason you haven't been able to overcome it. I'm going to talk about a three-letter word that we don't talk about much in our church anymore, the modern day church. Our churches across America don't talk about this. All right, you ready? Here's the word, sin. And we don't talk about it, and I know why it makes us feel uncomfortable. But I, I wanna approach this from a grace-filled, life-giving way. And I wanna approach it through the scripture and what the scripture says about this. And I'm more interested in less calling you out and more about giving you a pathway to overcome this. Here's what I, I love, Psalm 130, verse three. It says, Lord, if, I like this, if you kept a record of our sins, who, oh Lord, could ever survive? Aren't you grateful for that? Like, aren't, aren't you glad? You, listen, your, your neighbor might keep a record of your sins. Even your mom and dad might keep a record of your sins. But aren't you grateful that God doesn't? Because you couldn't survive. But you. In the New Testament, Ephesians says, he is so I don't know. Like, do you know like that? That he's so rich in kindness and grace? We think, well, I forget. Of our sins. Of our sins. 
have lived with his about about it I'm done and you've lived this little part of your life in darkness I'm going to call it your dark side that no one knows about and today I want to offer you freedom and show you a way out in John chapter 3 here's the reason why it's so important to bring light to this in John chapter 3 says all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. And that's the hard part. Like, man, I don't, I don't want anyone to know this is going on in my life. And let me tell you, one of the enemy's biggest weapons is called secrecy. If I could just keep it in secret, here's the deal, I can keep you stuck. Now listen, I'm not gonna give an altar call for this or for that today and call people. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying somewhere along the way, you gotta bring light to this dark area of your life so you can find freedom. Otherwise, you stay stuck in this circle over and over and over again. Do you know today, like this is, like this is awful, that in the last 20 years, and this is not what I'm preaching on, so don't, don't be concerned, but, but in the last 20 years, pornogra- the pornography epidemic has exploded in our nation. Do you know today, and here's the reason why, because 20, 30 years ago, if you wanted to view pornography, you had to go to a store, you had to buy it, go drive around the back of the store, view it, do whatever you're gonna do. Today, it's accessible, you can click on it, you can do it in secret, no one knows, you can do it in your car, on your phone, in your home. And do you know today what's happened? That the annual revenue of the pornography industry is greater than the NFL, the NBA, and the, and the National Baseball League as well. All combined, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. The child pornography industry revenue is over $4 billion a year. They say, I got this from Dr. Dobson, 90% of your teenagers from the age of eight to 18, 90% of them might not view it on their device, but they're gonna view it on someone's device. And here's all I'm saying, I'm not preaching on pornography. All I'm saying is what's caused it to explode is this little word called secrecy because he's able to keep it secret and whatever the enemy can keep secret in your life, he's able to gain victory in your life over. And so I just wanna show you a way out today. I wanna help you get freedom in this area. And to do this, first of all, I wanna expose how the enemy works in your life. And I'm gonna breeze through this super quick because I wanna get to the back end of this message and show you how to get free. Number one, if you're taking notes, this is how the enemy works in your life. Number one, he always starts with, everybody deals with this, everybody, he starts with opportunity. If I can just give them an opportunity and everybody gets opportunity. Second Corinthians chapter two and verse 11 says, in order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. He has a scheme. He, he is what I would call a master fisherman. 
And he loves to fish, and not just fish, but he fishes with the right lures. And so I'm not a fisherman. In fact, this year, I took my six-year-old. We were on vacation. We went up to North Georgia, and, um, and we went fishing, and uh, he loves fishing. And so when I was a kid, that my, my, parent, my dad wasn't a fisherman either. We just threw the hook out there on a reel and put some bread on the end of it. And so that's how we cut, catch fish. And so I took him out there. I said, son, this is how we do it. Let me show you how to fish. So we're throwing, and these fish, the water's clearer there. And so you could see them come right up, grab the bread off, and just fish, just uh, swim away. And man, I was ticked. I was aggravated. Because, and more I was aggravated, not about the fish, but my six year old saying, Daddy, I thought you knew how to fish. <laughs> and so I said, I'm going to figure this out. Because when I was a kid, all we had was bread, but now I got a wallet with some money on it. And, and it, so I'm gonna go to the store. And so I go to this store this, where they're selling bait and tackle and all this. And I walk in and there was a guy, they're probably about 70, 80 years old. And I said, sir, I'm, I'm from Florida and I wanna go fishing. I wanna get a lure. I wanna figure out how to fish. He says, son, and I, man, I was in for it. He goes, you're in the right place. I knew I was in trouble. And he said, sit down, let me talk to you. I said, no, I just want to buy a lure. He said, no, sit down. Let me he goes, when are you going fishing? I said, well, he goes, early morning, late at night. I said, well, I don't know. He goes, well, you got to figure that out. Are you going early morning? Late? I said, sir, I'm on vacation. I'm going to go whenever I want to. And he says, nope, you got to go early in the morning or late at night. If you go early in the morning, you use this lure. If you go late at night, you go use this lure. What kind of fish are you trying to catch? I said, sir, I'm just trying to catch a fish and there's not one I'm after. I just want a fish. And he, in other words, he said, depending upon when you fish, what you're fishing for and where you're fishing out in the middle of the lake are often, this is the kind of lure that you need to use. All I'm saying is, the enemy's a fisherman and he knows exactly what bait to use in your life. Like we should not be unaware of this. And here's the warning. Sin is crouching at the door, eager. And this is the part that we miss. If you could just do a timeout and buy into this, that God doesn't hate sin because it's fun. He hates it because it controls you. That's the reason why. But you must subdue it. You must be its master. It doesn't come automatically. So he just starts with opportunity. An opportunity turns into, works this way for everybody, desire. Like I, like I, I want that. And you see it, you want it. Like you go, to, you go to a store, like listen to me, hear your pastor talk to you, I'm gonna save your life this, this week. You're gonna go to Black Friday and someone's gonna walk up to you and they're gonna hand you a piece of paper and they're gonna say, hey, you fill this out, I'll give you a credit card. In fact, I, I, I care about you so much, I'll give you 20% off what you purchased in our store today. They're lying to you. <laughs> they're gonna get that money back in one year off your interest. Don't do it. They're, they start with desire. And, it's, and most of this starts with our eyes. You see something. You want something. You hear something. There's gates to your heart. There's gates to your spirit. There's an eye gate. There's an ear gate. And there's a mouth gate. That's how you get in to your heart. Jesus said it like this. Matthew 6. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. Like if you get this right, it'll affect every arena of your life. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. 
And this is where we struggle when we see something. So opportunity turns into you see it, and then we do it, and this is the, the step where you really get caught. And that is where you entertain it. You say, well, it's not that bad. Other kids are doing it. That's what you say. Other kids are doing it. My friends are doing this. I mean, God, you understand how awful my husband is, how awful my wife is, my boss. They don't pay me enough. I can take a little bit extra on the side. Nobody will. You start entertaining it. You start reasoning it out. And there was a time where Jesus was in the same situation. And you say, well, you know, Jesus was tempted of the devil. Oh yeah, he wasn't exempt of it, of it. In Matthew chapter four, it says, during that time, the devil came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. To which Jesus, I'm sure, maybe he said, well, I'm pretty hungry. I mean, surely God wouldn't want me to go hungry. I mean, 40-day fast, I've gone 38. Why should I go 39 or 40? God knows I love him. God knows I'm committed to him. And that's when we do this thing where we start entertaining it and we start reasoning it out. Here's what we would do. Well, God doesn't want me to go hungry. God wants me happy. But Jesus told him, and here's what we have to do at this stage. Jesus told him, no. At that stage, when we, this is where we can stop it, nip it right in the bud. When we're willing to say, no, I'm not. And we've bought into this lie that God is more interested than anything else in your life. He's more interested in you being happy. And God wants you happy, but he's more interested in your holiness than your happiness. He's more interested in your character than your comfort. God, because I'm a parent, I'm a parent, and listen, I inflict misery daily upon my children. Every day. I go in, I'm an early riser, I have one in high school, he has, has to get up early, I go right in there and I wake him up early in the morning. I turn his light on, I shake him, I say, get out of bed. He doesn't want to, five more minutes, no. Every day, you're gonna brush your teeth. Every day, you're gonna eat your broccoli. I'm gonna inflict misery. One of my sons the other day, recently was eating broccoli, he put some in his mouth and told his mom, I have to go to the bathroom. So he went in there, comes right back out, grabs another bite, goes, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom again. And so I just followed him right in there. And I had to inflict a little bit of misery upon his life. And, and all, all I'm saying is at this point, we can't buy into this. That God would do anything to make me happy. No, he's more interested in your development and your character. And the big question I think that we have to ask is this, how does someone who used to be okay end up so dumb and do things that destroys their life? I mean, how do you end up with 
and I'm not gonna use this word because we don't use this word in our house, but it's the word stupid. And how do you end up so, we don't use this word, but I'll say it's stupid. And the way it's best way I can describe, I'm not a hunter. I don't like to hunt. All of you guys invite me, try to get me to go. And let me tell you why I don't like to hunt. The first time I went hunting, I was in Colorado, Glenwood Springs, and a friend of mine who was there a few weeks ago, he said, come on, Norm, we're gonna go up for a hunt. And we were there for a week. I said, okay, I'll do it. Got early in the morning, which was awful enough in and of itself. And um, put on clothes I would never, ever wear. And, um, and we're going out hunting. We get about a mile up the side of this mountain. We're going black bear hunting. And um, he pulls out this canister, this squirt bottle. And he says, here, put this on. And he squirts it in his hand and rubs it on his face like it's cologne. I says, well, what is it? He goes, well, it's bear pee. I said, what? He said, oh yeah, you got to put that on. You got to mask your scent. I said, What? He goes, yeah, and you just wipe it on like it's, you know, cologne, and he sprays it all over your clothes. I said, I, I am not called for this. <laughs> so we went out all day long, smelling like bear pee, never saw one bear the whole time. <laughs> but I'm not a hunter, but what I do know when I listen to hunters, they love to go, especially deer hunting in Florida, they love to go deer hunting in the rut. And when, when a deer is in heat, these certain one of these, these, these bucks that you would never catch, all of a sudden when these deer get in heat, these majestic, smart bucks become dumb in a moment. <laughs> They're the ones that you ever go, they can, they'll go out and they will, they'll take one step and they'll look around and they'll stay there for 30 minutes, never take another step looking. But when the rut comes on, they put their nose to the ground and they just run out, kaboom! And their head's on a wall. And all I'm saying to you is, at this stage, this is how the enemy works. He turns, this, when you start entertaining it, someone who's usually all together ends up doing something so dumb. I mean, you get your head on the wall and the enemy has your number. And then it goes to, and here it is, and this is the fourth and final stage of how the enemy works in your life. It goes to action, where you actually act on it. Now you reasoned your way through it. You sort of thought it's okay. I deserve this. God's okay with it. It's no big deal. And then you act on it. And this is where James comes in and says this. After the desire has conceived you, Opportunity, thought it through, it gives birth to sin. That's the action. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death, which doesn't mean physical death, it could mean death in your marriage, death in your career, death in your family, death in a relationship, death in your finances. That's what happens. And here's the, it begins an awful, awful cycle in your life that you hate and I hate it. You, you think about it, opportunity, you see it, then you reason it out, then you act on it. And then when you act on it, all of a sudden guilt comes and shame comes and, and you live in that. And the first time you say, okay, it was a mistake. God, forgive me. And then you, then you get free of that and then you go right back to it. And then it's an awful vicious cycle where you say, man, I've turned into the person I never wanted to be. I'm addicted, I'm hooked. I can't get free of this. Lord, help me. And you get, and it's an awful cycle of guilt and shame that 
It's, it's not just the sin and the consequence of sin, but you can't get free of it. To which I want to say to you, none of us here are exempt from this. Every one of us has an area of our life that we struggle with. Come on, your pastor, same thing. We all have areas that we have to overcome. The great apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18, he said, I, this is the great apostle Paul, I want to do what is right, but I can't. Is that your favorite verse in the Bible? Like, I love that. Like Paul says, hey, I, want, I can't get it right. I, I want to do what is good, but I don't. Is this preaching to anybody here? Like I, like, I want to, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong. That's our whole church, but I do it anyways. And that's where a lot of us are. And we get stuck in this vicious cycle. And it's an awful cycle of guilt, shame, action. And then it starts affecting people around us. And someone says, well, how do I get free? And I want to quickly give you what I call the path to freedom. And I want to show you, and I'm just going to kind of run you through how I do this. So I point out the problem. And then I'm gonna show you something you have to overcome. And then I'm gonna give you some practical steps. And at the very end, we're gonna have a God moment. And whenever we put a series together like this, I'll even sit with people and I'll say, let's work a God moment in here. Like, I don't want a norm moment. I don't want a funny moment. I don't want a story. I don't want people to laugh. All that stuff's fun. But I want a moment where God does something in people's lives. And that's what we're gonna do at the end of the service. We're gonna have a God moment. But to get there, we have to go through the path to freedom. The most difficult thing about this message today, being that it's difficult to deliver because it's not fun to hear, is this verse right here. It's in the New Testament and we have to talk about it if we want to get freedom. In 1 John chapter 1, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's just saying, hey, if you don't think you have an area to overcome, you're just lying to yourself. If you don't think you have a struggle, listen, if you don't think you have an area to overcome, that's your issue right there. Years ago, I remember I was the overseer of a missions organization. We had 154 missionaries in 30 nations of the world. And, uh, and my pastor comes to me one day and says, Norm, you're going to be the missions director. I'm like, okay, thanks. What does that mean? He goes, just, just show up to work and you'll figure it out. And so, and so I was 26 years old and, and I'm doing all this and all of a sudden I'm getting phone calls. Hey, so-and-so, one of our missionaries had an affair. So-and-so is uh, using prostitutes. So-and-so is drinking. So-and-so is getting drunk. on, And then all, so-and-so stole money. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm 26 years old. I can't handle all this my pastor gives me a book he said I want you to read this book it's about that thick by a guy named Steve Ferrar called finishing strong I do a small group on it occasionally and it's and in this premise of this book is that one out of ten people finish strong in the ministry nine out of ten fail and so my pastors read this book it'll be good for you and so about two or three weeks later he says to me hey you read that book yet I says, no. He says, read the book. If you know my pastor uh, that I work for, that means that's, that's the second warning. Like, that's the way he's strong. Read it again. And so I'm on an airplane, and I'm flying. Uh, Dina, um, this is probably 18 years ago, 20 years ago. Dina has, was up, uh, I was going to Toronto, and, and I was flying through Pennsylvania to pick up Dina. She was visiting her family. And so I was flying there, and so I'm going to read the book there. So I'm on an airplane, and you ever been on one of those planes where you get out, they get you from the gate, and they just stop. 
and they're gonna do maintenance checks there. I'm like, why, why didn't you do that before we got on the plane? So we're there for a couple hours, so I'm reading. And he said in this book, you are one that has a high propensity to fail if you do one of these five things. One, talking about, in this case, it's talking about extramarital affairs. He said, if you're thinking about other women, I'm like, check, not me. I think about other women, it's called my, my wife and my daughter. He said, if you, number two, are spending a lot of time with someone of the opposite sex, I said, not me. He said, if number three, you find yourself going out of your way to meet that person, I said, check, not me. He said, number four, which I forgot, so just act like I'm gonna make it up. And, um, but it's a good number four. I said, not me. And he said, number five, and this is the one that I'm, he said, I'm concerned about the most. This is the one that's most likely to fail. The guy who thinks he can't fail. And man, it hit me hard. That was me. And that book saved my life. He said this, but if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We all know this, purify us from unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So we gotta bring light to this, this area of our life. And I wanna give you a pathway to freedom. Three super practical steps. And I wanna take you back to an Old Testament story. In this Old Testament story, you know, as soon as I say who it is, you're gonna know exactly where I'm going with it. It's the story of a guy in the book of Genesis named Joseph. And you know his story, like his, he had this dream, his brothers got jealous, they sold him into slavery, he's picked up by this caravan, this caravan sold him as a slave to a guy named Potiphar, he's in Potiphar's house, right? And he's just obeying God, favors upon his life, and you know all the cliche phrases that come out of a message like this, he got better, not bitter, and all this sort of thing, uncommon favor, all this sort of thing we preach on. But let me tell you back to the beginning of the story. Joseph is in Potiphar's house. Everything is going good for him. And it says, and one day he went into the house. Uh, and I love the way I wanted to use this translation because one day, like nobody wakes up and plans doing something stupid. But one day he went into the house, normal day, to attend to his duties. But none of the household servants was inside. And she, Potiphar's wife, caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me, which Joseph could have said, well, Potiphar's not home. Uh, I'm not married. Life hasn't worked out. I deserve this. But he left his cloak in her hand. And here it is. And he ran out of the house. If you're taking notes, number one, if you want to find your pathway to freedom, here it is. Run, Forrest, run. Like the first thing when it comes, like run. And that's the Old Testament. Let me give you a New Testament. 2 Timothy 2, 22 says, run. Like I, I know the pushback from you. I, I feel it. It can't, pastor, you don't know what's going on in my life. I'm just giving you the best advice I can, practically speaking, give you some steps. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Number two, here it is, be accountable which we don't like this, especially men. And let me say this to you. This is why a small group is so important. Get around people, some friends that know you. This is why 
If you've been stuck in a small group that meets once a month for dinner, that's good. But go to the next level, go to the one that meets every week. Get in a freedom group. Get some people that know you. Find people and be accountable to someone. If you're married, your pastor who loves you, be accountable to your spouse. That's real accountability. That's high level accountability. Because here's the reason why I put this in here. Because people, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. Like this is where we get stuck. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Now, I don't know. Like, having raised kids, moms and dads, listen, you know this. When you catch your kids doing something wrong, man, I mean, you're gonna, you let them have it. But what is about one of your kids? Because we, we have one of those kids that's sneaky. And you're always catching them. But then we have, of our five, we have three in the middle. And then we have one on the other extreme that if they even think about doing wrong, they go, Mommy, Daddy, I was thinking about doing this. And I know I'm not supposed to. I said, well, did you do it? They go, no. I'm like, well, then you're good. You won. But just even the thought of doing wrong. But when, when one of our kids does something wrong, and test this out, when they come to you, when they've done wrong before you find out, what is your typical response? Mercy. And in fact, if you're anything like Dean and me, we're like, what have we done wrong as parents? How have we failed our children? You know, why are they doing? And so you want to give them mercy, mercy. Why is this so important? Why is this so important, guys? Is if we don't do this step here, have accountability in our lives, we're going to be sorry. I have accountability partners in my life. My wife, I'm accountable to her. I said it. In front of all you guys, I'm accountable to my wife in every arena of my life. Everything I do, every email I write, every text I send, everything I view, everything I look at, everywhere I go, every meeting I accept, every meeting I reject, my wife is part of that process if she wants to be. Listen, you can laugh, you can make fun. I'm married 25 years, five kids, and we have a red hot marriage. Be accountable. But I have other people in my life, men, that I'm accountable to. We actually sit down and we talk and we say, they ask me questions. Pastor, and I say, Norm, are you reading your Bible? To which I have to say, they say, no. I, I say, yes. They go, no, no. I don't mean to study to preach messages. Are you reading your Bible to hear from God? Which sometimes I got to go, yeah, most of the time. So are you, how are you handling money? How are you handling your team? Are you taking days off? And they actually go through a list and they ask me, how's your relationship with your wife? They ask me these questions. Accountability. Filter everything that you view. And let your wife or your husband or someone see what you're seeing. Your pastor loves you to save your life. Number three, this is it. Initiate safety measures. Like when in your life, there has to be safety measures. We do this in our cars. We do it with our finances. We do it uh, with our children. We do it on our career. We do it with your walk with the Lord. Here's the reason why. Proverbs 5 says, you will say how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why? 
didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin. And now, and this is what I'm trying to save you from. And now I must face public disgrace. All I'm saying is to set up safety measures in your life ahead of time so you won't be prey to the schemes of the enemy. We do this in our lives. We do this at our church. When we built this building, you can walk through our offices. We built this building. There was a mistake on the door order and they put the wrong doors in all of our pastor's offices. We couldn't stop construction at the time. But when it all got done, the first thing we did, the first construction project after we moved in here was to get those doors off the pastor's offices and install doors with big windows in them that everybody can walk by and look in and see what they're doing in the middle of the day. Because we don't, want, we don't have closed door meetings. That's when bad things happen. We don't meet with members of the opposite sex unless the door is open, the shades are up, and people can see what's going on in our offices. People can walk by in my office and see what I'm looking at my computer. All the computers are pointed towards the wall. so Everybody can see them. I don't travel. I travel a lot. And I, every trip I take, I always take somebody with me, either my wife most of the time, if not, then next one of my children, if not, then a staff member. But it is a rare, rare occasion for me to be gone without somebody around me and with me. What am I doing? I'm putting safety measures there. And all I'm asking you is to consider doing the same. If you struggle in an area, when you're thinking right, and when you're thinking like you are right now, say, what can I do to ensure this doesn't happen? And I want to wrap it up with, this is the moment that I wanted to get to. This has been one of the worst weeks of my life ever. Because I know the enemy did not want me to preach this. And I want to give you, I've just, he'd been battling me on this. And I want to give you a clear path to freedom, not just steps but I want to give you the fourth and final step that I think would change everything for your life. And here it is. Make Jesus the Lord of my life every day. We've been so good. We've been so good at making him our savior. We do that well here. Jesus saved me. I don't mean, to me it's a no brainer. Heaven, hot, hell, gold, mansions. I think I'll go heaven. Savior. But Lord's a whole nother story. And it's a daily decision. It's a decision that we get to make every day. We make a Savior decision one time. We make a Lord decision every day. And I was thinking, what how could I wrap this up? And I want to take you to a story in the book of John. If you go to our church, you know this story. I use it a lot because it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And this story is found in the book of John. And it's the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Right away, you all know it. And which is odd about this story, and this is how I read it at least, i they caught, it says they caught her in the act of adultery, which means there's 
sexual intimacy going on, probably unclothed, and they drag her out. And imagine the shame. Imagine the embarrassment. Probably not fully clothed. And they bring her and they're going to right away just like on the spot justice trial right there. And you know the story how it goes. Jesus said, whoa. And the Pharisees brought him into this to try to trick him. Because no matter what he did, he was going to be wrong. Because if he gave her mercy, then he'd be going against the law. If he gave her all law and no mercy, he would be go against what he's been teaching. So he did something brilliant. They're all gathered around. Go there with me in your mind. They're all gathered around him. Jesus bends down on the ground and he writes something. I don't know what he wrote. And theologians for thousands of years have been trying to figure out what he wrote. My thoughts are this. Maybe he just wrote a name of a mistress of one of the guys that was there and said, Sally, Susie. One by one, they all start leaving. And then Jesus asked her this question. He said, Where, hey, where's, where's all your accusers? Are they here? Where are, what happened to all your accusers? Where, they're not here. And she said, no, Lord. And Jesus said something. I love Jesus. I'm so glad I served Jesus. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. All I'm saying is, is all I'm saying is Jesus isn't condemning you today. But he said, get out of the circle of guilt, shame. It's going to one day hurt people around you. And Jesus said something, I think it's the next verse. We usually stop at verse 11, but verse 12, right after it. He spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. But I think we all agree with, but in the context of this, he's like, if I shine light on something, if you follow me, like let the light shine on it. You won't have to walk in darkness because you, you will have the light that leads to life. And all he's saying is, hey, I'm not condemning you, but you don't have to stay stuck in this darkness anymore. You get free of it. Thank you for listening to the East Coast Believers Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. For more info about this podcast or other resources, visit eastcoastbelievers.org.